Good morning. I was just checking because I couldn't remember if I said good morning earlier. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1. And since I know everybody that's sitting here can't see out there, so you're all sitting there and saying, do I have five inches of snow on my windshield or... Is it just a dusting? Is someone shaking their head no? So they must have been in the hallway. I should ask my grandsons. They keep running in and out. I don't know. Ben, how much snow's on the car? He didn't look. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not picking on you this morning. No, no, no grandchildren illustrations in the sermon today. Mark chapter 1. Let's jump to God's word. I want to read from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28, and then we'll... I'll talk about my sermon title some and where we're going to go with this. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. An evil spirit shook the man violently, and he came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we look to your word this morning and again ask you to speak to us through the power of your word. You have given us your word in written form that it may touch our hearts and it may transform us and change us to who you want us to be. This morning, Lord, again, I ask you to speak to us through your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, who's that guy? All throughout history, uh, there's all kinds of people who have come onto the scene and left the scene that have made an impact on our world. Um, Some of them great, some of them good, uh, sometimes terrible impacts on our world. And you can go down through the, the list of history and start calling out names, uh, names like George Washington, uh, names like Martin Luther, or then you go to Martin Luther King Jr., uh, names like Napoleon, you can go terrible names like Pol Pot or Hitler, or go to uh, William Shakespeare or Edgar Allan Poe, or maybe an Abraham Lincoln, or then you go to a Karl Marx, or a Julius Caesar, or even an Isaac Newton, a Thomas Edison, on and on and on. You can go through these names of people who made an impact on our world. Uh, history books are full of people who invented things or led the world in such a way that it shaped us today and made a dent in the history of the world. And then there's Michael. Now, Some of you don't know who Michael is. But based on the sermon title today of Who's That Guy? There's Michael. Michael is a shy exchange student coming from England 
and goes to Rydell High. And when Michael goes there, he falls in love with a girl named Stephanie. But he can't have Stephanie because Stephanie, she's a pink lady and the pink ladies belong to the T-Birds. And he doesn't know how to ride a motorcycle. And so Michael, he needs to learn how to ride a motorcycle. He needs to learn how to pop wheelies and do all those things because his heart is drawn towards Stephanie and he wants to win Stephanie over. And the only way to get to Stephanie's heart is to be that guy. And so what did Michael do? He learns how to ride a motorcycle and he gets a motorcycle with some of the cash that he had. And all of a sudden there's this scene in the movie where Michael comes riding onto the scene. He has his helmet on and his goggles on. Nobody can recognize who he is. And he comes riding on the scene and he's popping wheelies. He jumps over a police car. He's flying around the parking lot. All the other bikes are chasing him. Guys that have been running, riding motorcycles for years are chasing him and they can't catch Michael. And, and he's riding all over the place. And they all break into song and they start singing the words of, who's that guy? Where did he come from? Who's that guy? Please tell me someone. I never knew anyone could be so cool. And then from there on, the whole rest of the movie is about people trying to figure out who is this cool rider? Who's this guy on this motorcycle? Who's that guy? He made such a dent in this one scene of the movie that everybody wants to know who's that guy. And so before some of you start singing the lyrics and jump back into the movie, I want us to bring us back to reality. Because from historical people that have come on the scene to Michael in the movie Grease 2, a fictional movie, this group of people made a difference where people really wanted to know who they were. They wanted to know who they were about. They wanted to be next to those people. They wanted to be close to them. They wanted to go out of their way and be as close as possible to them. People want to get close. They want to stick near someone that's famous. They want to follow people around that are famous. They want to stalk people that are famous. And everybody wanted to know who Michael was in the movie. And they all wanted to be with Michael because he's so cool. And hey, even Forrest Gump had people that ran with him. Even Forrest Gump had people that ran with him from sea to shiny sea, back and forth. Because when someone's famous, people want to gravitate to them and be with them. And then I come back to Jesus. I come back to Jesus. And I sit and wonder, here we are on a Sunday morning. It's snowing outside. And yet something still drew us to come and be close to Jesus. And there are people on Facebook right now watching live. You know, something drew them. I, I wanted to turn on my phone, I wanted to turn on my TV, I wanted to turn on my tablet, and I want to be part of a congregation, and I want to be part of a church, and I want to draw close to Jesus. But then the reality sinks in that often we find ourselves closest to Jesus, drawn to him on a Sunday morning. And then three and a half days later, we sort of go out here somewhere, and then we come back again three and a half days later, and we find ourselves again on a Sunday morning. Now, someone told me this morning that they learn better by an illustration, you know, by visual things. So I had to run next door to the OCC room and where we have all kinds of stuff, stuff stored. And, and reality is we want to go like this, down, and then we come back up. And here we are on a Sunday, 
and there we go down to Wednesday, and then we come back up on Sunday. And we go down on Wednesday, and we come back up on Sunday. The problem is, why do we want to be down here? Why don't we always want to be up here? See, people like Michael, everybody wanted to be near him. Let's face it. Take any movie star, actor, anybody that's held in high esteem. People just want to gravitate to them. Oh, they're so important. We need to be near them. Look at political rallies in our country. People just, by the thousands, I got to be there. I got to see what's going on. Yet when it comes to our faith, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to Jesus, we want to draw close on Sunday. And three and a half days later, we're out here somewhere. And three and a half days later, we're back in here somewhere. I want us to go and look at chapter, chapter one of Mark. Look at these verses and dig in a little bit. Allow the scripture to speak to us and, and see what God wants to say to us and where we can be in our, script, in, our, in our spiritual lives, in our Christian walk, and what this will mean to us as we walk through. Um, and on a side note, if you look at historical people, Jesus still ranks as number one. Don't ask me after church. I'll just tell you now. Napoleon goes as number two, and then the list goes on from there. But if people ask, Jesus is the number one historical person. But with the number one historical person, the number one person, do we really want to be close? Let's, let's look at Mark chapter 1. I want to start off by something that's very simple, and I call it a rational amazement. I want to start off with the basis that here are people with a rational amazement. When they, when they heard Jesus, when they saw Jesus, when they understood Jesus, they were amazed by Jesus. Verse 22, the people were amazed at his teaching. You get down to verse 27, the people were amazed because of the miracle, his teaching, his authority. And here's the difficult problem when I started to think about the people being amazed. I don't know what amazes us anymore. I don't know what amazes us anymore. There's not much in the kingdom of God that we rest on that amazes us. I don't know where you're at. But I, I know what my normal week is like. And am I amazed by God? Do I sit in amazement by what God is doing? Here are the people in our story this morning, when they saw Jesus and they saw his, heard his teaching, they were amazed. When they saw the miracles, they were amazed. And where am I at in my life today? Have I settled into, have you settled into the mundane of Christian life? I want to tell you a story. It's a story I heard on the radio the other day. I 100% believe it to be true. But I want to share it because I want you to react to the story and to think about your reaction to the story and where my initial reaction I will give you right at the end of the story. Here's the story, and I'm going to try and recollect it the best I could. I couldn't find it on the Internet to read it verbatim. But here's the story and how it goes. There was a handful of Christians who were in a Muslim country and they were all hiding in a house having a Bible study. Just a handful, five of them, around there. And all of a sudden, people stormed into their house with guns and knives because they were attacking them because they were Christians having a secret Bible study in a Muslim country. They tied them up, they put knives to their throat, and they tried to force them to deny their faith in Jesus Christ. And the leader of the Bible study says... That all of a sudden, he heard from God, and God said, stand up and walk out of the room. So the leader of the Bible study, he stood up, the ropes that were tying his hands and that were binding him fell off. 
He started walking out of the room and someone with an automatic gun, an automatic rifle, stuck it to the side of his head and pulled the trigger and the gun jammed. And he walked out of the room. And everybody else in the Bible study, they then stood up and they walked out of the room too. And they all went away and they were managed to get to safety. End of story. Now, I'm going to give you a reaction on that. We react to that story in one of two ways that I know of. One is, Ralph, you're full of malarkey. That stuff doesn't happen. That's, that's one way to react. You're full of it. That stuff doesn't happen. Or we react and say, praise God. He's an awesome God. And I'm amazed that he still does those things. And I'm blown away by what God's doing. And so we end up with two reactions from that. And so we're either praising God and we're standing in amazement, or we're saying, where in the world did you come up with that story? And somehow as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we need to find our way back to always standing in amazement and watching and waiting for the amazing things that God is going to do in our lives. When I turn to Daniel chapter 3 and read about a fiery furnace, and I read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this fiery furnace, walking around in the fiery furnace, and there was a fourth person in there, believed to be Jesus Christ himself, walking around in the fiery furnace, and then these guys come out of the fiery furnace, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't have any hair on them singed at all. Their clothes aren't burnt at all. They don't even smell like smoke. I can't even sit next to a campfire for five minutes without smelling like smoke. And these three guys come out. And I read this story in, in the Bible. And as a little kid, you're amazed. And you say, wow, God really did this. What an amazing God. And if I jump forward to Daniel chapter 6, I read about Daniel who's praying three times a day, who's bowing down and praying to his God. And because of the law that was written, he had to be punished for that. He had to be executed for that. And he's thrown in the bottom, in, into a lion's den, thrown into the pit with the lions. And the king is, doesn't want to do it, but he has to do it anyway. And the king really isn't sure of the outcome. He's really not sure if Daniel's God will be able to rescue him from the lions. And the next morning when the king goes back to open up the door and to see if Daniel's okay or not, and he finds that Daniel... Daniel has been okay. The king's amazed by what God has done. See, he sort of thought God could do something, but now he sees that God could do something, and he's amazed by what God was doing. When the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching, and they were amazed at the miracle that Jesus performed of having the evil spirits come out of this man, <clears throat> their reaction wasn't one that was built on irrationality. It was a rational, logical, God is in front of us, and he's doing something amazing. The reaction was built on that reality that they saw right in front of them. They knew this guy. He's the guy. And they knew something was different about this man that they were calling Jesus. They knew this guy wasn't like the others. And they, the people could see that there was something special. And they would go on to see bigger and better things coming from Jesus and they they knew they knew from the Old Testament they knew from the Old Testament that there was miracles that would come from the hand of God they knew from the Old Testament that dead people could be brought back to life they knew from the Old Testament that water could be changed into something else they saw a whole river turned into blood into blood but here they're actually seeing it in front of their eyes 
And there's a big difference in our lives, and I think that's where we sit sometimes. I can read the Bible stories over and over and over and understand that we serve an amazing God. But can I bring that back into my own life, and can you bring it into your own life where we're ready and expecting to see an amazing God work right in front of us? And our eyes opened up to allow an amazing God show himself right in front of us. I'm going to keep going from rational amazement, and it cascades into reality apperception. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Before this week, I had no idea there even was such a word as apperception. But it was the only word I can find. It had an R and an A in it, and apperception actually works. So I have to define it for you because I had to define it for myself and make sure I understood what apperception is. Apperception is the mental process by which a person makes sense of an idea by assimilating it into the body of ideas I already have. I see something happening, I already have a set of ideas, and I said, oh, that fits with my set of ideas. I'm assimilating it into my ideas. I have this apperception of something that's happening in front of me. That's the best definition I can give to you. But it works for our scripture passage this morning because the people are sitting around in amazement and they hear Jesus teach. And then in verse 23 and 24, we have this event that happens in this passage. Just then a man in in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Here are the impure impure spirits who are able to take one plus one and realize this equals two. Here is a guy who is teaching in a way that people don't teach before. Here is a guy who we see the Holy Spirit of God resting upon. And the impure spirits, the demons, realize, yeah, we are in the presence of God. And they put one plus one together. They have this reality apperception of taking what they're seeing and bringing it forth. And then they're saying, we're in the presence of the Holy One of God. Jesus, right in front of them. Reality apperception happens throughout the ministry of Jesus. All the time. The blind man. Uh-oh, there we go. The blind man. Along the street, crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's apperception. No one told him that Jesus was the son of David. He put one and one together and realized it was two. Here is a man who's walking around healing people. Here is a man who's teaching people the word of God like no one ever did before. This must be the son of David, the Messiah who was to come. And the the blind man has reality apperception. It's based on his reality that he sees right in front of him. That one plus one is two. And this is a guy in front of me, the guy that we are waiting to have come. Son of David, have mercy on himself. Who was the son of David? The Messiah, God himself. The woman with a medical condition. Doctors couldn't cure her for years and years. Whatever they could do, couldn't fix her. And then we're told, she says, if I only touch, if I only touch his clothes, if I can only get close enough to touch him, I know I'll be made well. That's reality, apperception. If I can get close enough to Jesus, I know something's going to change in my life. And she does. She gets close enough to Jesus and touches his clothes, gets healed, starts to walk away, and Jesus stops in the whole entourage. Again, getting close to Jesus, and the whole entourage comes to a stop, and Jesus stops and says, Who touched me? What do you mean, who touched you? There's all kinds of people around you. They're crowded in. People are, all kinds of people are touching you. What are you talking about? No, someone, someone touched me. 
And Jesus knew the power had gone out of him and changed someone's life. And then the woman came forward. And Jesus was able to speak to her and heal her, I believe, from a salvation point as well. Reality, apperception. Close enough to God. I can get close enough to God. Someone didn't have to go to her and say, look, if you get close enough to God, get close enough to Jesus, maybe you'll be healed. No, she saw what Jesus was doing. She heard what Jesus was teaching. And she knew, if I only get close enough, one plus one equals two, and I'm going to get close enough to God because something's going to happen. Here's a reality of perception. And I'm going to give you a little story from Luke chapter 10. And hopefully this can sink in. Uh, I think it sank in for the people in the story, but hopefully it can sink in for us as well. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is sending out the 72. Is one the story where Jesus says, look, I'm going to send the 72 out. All 72 of you, not just the 12 disciples. There are 72 followers at that point. I'm going to send all of you out, and you're going to do some stuff for me. Here's Luke chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. Jesus is talking to them, and he says, When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Eh, it sounds good. When I get to town, if someone gives me a bologna sandwich, I get a bologna sandwich. That works for me. You know, if there are fish and chips on the seashore, let's have it. Verse 9, Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Whoa, wait a minute. This is where I come back and I say there's reality apperception at this point. See, if I'm one of the 72, I stop for a minute and I say, whoa, wait a minute. You want me to do what? See, going to the town and getting a bologna sandwich if someone offers me something to eat or some fish and chips or whatever it may be, I'm okay with that. But Jesus, are you really serious about this heal the sick part of it? See, I know you're the guy. See, and you heal sick people, Jesus. You feed people. You heal them. You let the blind see. The lame have walked. And we've watched you do this, Jesus. But you're the guy. Not me. If I, I'm being honest with you. If I was one of the 72, that would have been my reality at perception at that point. I would have said, yeah, one plus one equals two, and you're the guy, and I know I want to hang out with the guy, but I'm not so sure that I can go do what you said to do. But the Bible doesn't tell me any of that at all. The Bible doesn't, doesn't even tell me about any hesitation in the 72. The Bible tells me they basically said, look, he's the guy. We've been hanging out with the guy. The guy says to go and do this, I guess we should go do it. They had this reality apperception in their life where they said, well, he's the guy. We've been following the guy. And the guy says to go do it, I'm going to go do it. One plus one equals two. And off they went. The great part, the great part of Luke chapter 10 is when we get to the end of the, of the story. Because verse 17 is when they come back. Here's what they say when they came back. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. See, Jesus said, go out and heal the sick. He didn't say anything about demons. He just said, go out and heal the sick. And they come back and they're blown away. They're amazed. 
They have this rational amazement because they saw what Jesus was doing, and now they really have a reality apperception because they really know that Jesus told them to go do this, and he came back. And I like what Jesus' response to it is, and I paraphrase. It, paraphrase. Jesus basically says, I saw Satan fall off his rocking chair. You know, he's just blown away. You know, they went out. They went out. The 72 went out. And Jesus is waiting for him to come back. And he says, yep, guys, when you were out there, I saw, I saw Satan. He was shaking in his boots. Fell off his rocking chair. He didn't know what hit him. Basically tell him you did good. See, every now and then, we sing this song. I love this song. Um, and to let you know a secret... Pastor never has a choice on what songs we sing. I guess if I twisted an arm, I could have a choice, but uh, I don't choose the songs on Sunday morning, or, or we'd sing this song every week. It's, I stand in awe of you. And here's the lyrics to this, to this song. And I, I love this song. Sometimes I don't even sing it. I just, I just stand in awe of God, and I can't even sing it. The words say, You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depth of your love? You are beautiful beyond description, majesty enthroned above. And I stand, I stand in awe of you. Right? We stand in awe of God. And like I said, half the time, I can't even say it. I can't even sing it because I do stand in awe of God. He is an amazing God. But the problem with that song is, for me, as much as I love the song, it doesn't take me to the reality, apperception, where I go and I say, oh, like the 72, am I really going to hold on to God that close? That. And awesome awesome god changes me and changes you in such a way that we're not living with the yo-yo effect anymore and we're walking with the presence of god watching the amazing every single day god tells us that we're a royal nation here's the burden that's on us we're the royal nation we're the holy priesthood we're the ones being sent out by God. We're the ones entrusted with the gospel message. We're the ones called to go and spread the gospel seeds into the world. We're the body of Christ. We're the hands and feet of Christ. We're the ambassadors of Christ. He's the guy, and he told us we're the guy that has to go and do those things now. He's the guy. We're the followers of the guy, and the guy is telling us to go do those things. So we go. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is, work, is at work within us. I'll get the verse right. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is in, at work within us. I'm not sure what you imagine God's going to do, but God's ready to do more than that. That's who God is. So we have rational amazement, cascades into reality apperception, and the end of the story, the last verse of the story, verse 28. Verse 28 tells us, news about him spread quickly over the whole region. Raised awareness. That's where we're at when the story wraps up. Raised awareness. I don't know if you know what an, aware, an awareness campaign is. I'm going to give it to you really brief. I went and looked some things up that are crazy about churches. 
Here's some websites. 24 church marketing strategies from the pros. Another one, 15 ways to promote your church event. Another one, three simple church advertising ideas to promote your church. Another one, seven church marketing ideas that you can start right now. I can tell you, if you, want an, if you want an awareness campaign and you have a business, go pass out your business cards, advertise, 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 promote, promote, promote. People want, you know, you want to sell your product. Get your product out there and promote it and advertise and promote it and have your awareness campaign. Can I tell you something that Jesus never told us to do in the Bible and the Bible never tells us to do? Never in the Bible does he tell his church to go have an awareness campaign. Never does. He doesn't tell me to go find seven church marketing ideas that you can start right now to market your church. God's not in the business of marketing Green Spring Brethren in Christ Church. He's not. And when I read Mark chapter 1, Jesus didn't say, hey, go spread the news about me. Most of the time, Jesus said, don't go tell anybody. Didn't he? Most of the time, he says, don't tell anyone. But by what Jesus was doing and the lives he was impacting, from the amazement that people had to the apperception that he was the Son of God, the news of Jesus spread and people became aware that news spread about him quickly over the whole region of Galilee. See, we're not a business, but we are God's holy people called together into a community of believers to cry out to the living God for his mercy. That's what we do on Sunday morning. I cry out to the living God for his mercy and then allow his mercy to rest upon me that throughout the week I can cry out that I worship a living God who has given me mercy. And there's God's awareness campaign. You remember the story of Rahab in the Old Testament? Jericho. Rahab, the prostitute, living in Jericho and hides the, hides the spies that were coming into to the land. So she hides the spies. And here's what, what Rahab says. This is God's awareness campaign. I want you to read it. Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. That's a lot of awareness. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan who you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melt in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. And here's the big statement of the awareness campaign in Joshua chapter 2. She says the last sentence, For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Wow. See, the spies didn't have to come in and say, uh, Rahab, we're here because we serve the God who is over the heavens above and the earth below. Uh, the awareness campaign already went out. Because when God's working miraculous things through our lives, I don't have to tell anybody about God. God's gonna, they're going to see God. When God's changing us and making us into who he wants us to be, I don't have to hold up a billboard and say, come to Green Spring Church. We want you to worship with us. My life becomes a billboard, and yours does as well. Like it or not, our lives are what God, and what God is doing in our lives becomes an awareness campaign for the world to see. Whether we like it or not, if we call ourselves a Christian, 
Our lives are the awareness campaign that God wants to use to spread his word so the whole world can see. So what do we do with all of this? Jesus died on the cross to set us free from our sins. That's the bottom line. We believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That alone should amaze us. That a man 2,000 years ago would die for me today. That alone should amaze us and bring us amazement. We come to that and we wait and we watch and we pray for God to do the amazing and continue to do the amazing in our lives and through our lives. And we allow the reality of God to sink into our lives. Don't discount who God is and what God can do. Wait on God and celebrate God as he continues to amaze us. Continue to draw close to God. Have that reality, that perception that we never give up on God and we realize he is the Holy One of God. And we hold close to him. And then from there, we watch and we wait for the whole world to see that we serve an awesome God. When we let God do amazing things to us, like the story that I read early on, people will stop and they'll realize God's alive and he's doing something through them. We need to let God live in our lives. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Let them come alive in our, God, in our lives and allow the amazing to happen. So back to the title of my sermon. Who's that guy? In your life, who's that guy? Is it God? Do we really want him? Are we really ready to be amazed by him? And the other option is, yeah, let's go on with the mundane. I'm sure something's on TV tomorrow that we can watch. Amazed by God. I want us all to walk through our lives. Amazed by God. I want us all to give God room to do the amazing through us and in us. That's where we can find ourselves. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are amazing. Um, you're beyond our comprehension. You are too marvelous for words. Yet you give us these brief descriptions of you in your word that help us to understand how amazing you are and how wonderful and awesome you are. And so, Lord, open up our eyes to see and open our hearts to receive the amazing. Give us faith beyond the measure that we have. And we call on the name of the Lord and allow the amazing to happen in our lives. Yes, in the same way that Elisha's servant had to have his eyes open to see your protection around him. Lord, open up our eyes, open up our spiritual eyes to see your kingdom around us that we can walk through this life in confidence knowing that we serve an amazing God and that you're ready to do the miraculous in our lives. We place our trust in you. We lay our cares at your feet. We're watching. We're waiting. 
to see what you're going to do in our lives next. Lord, we thank you for being with us, and we ask for your protection as we head home today, that you help keep us safe on the roads and give us patience. May your glory fill our lives, shine over us, fill our homes, that our homes will be places of peace and places of refuge because your glory is with us and your Holy Spirit goes with us and goes before us. Lord, again, I ask for your hand, your merciful hand of healing to touch those that are hurting. We wait and watch for your miracle, Lord. May it be today. Thank you, Lord, for all you continue to do and the great work you continue to do. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a blessed week. God bless you.